The Fishing Hole by Guy de Maupassant, 1850-1893. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Tomlinson. The Fishing Hole. Cuts and wounds which cause death. Such was the charge upon which Leopold Reinacher, upholsterer, was summoned before the court of assizes. Round him were the principal witnesses, Madame Flamèche, widow of the victim, and Louis Ladureau, cabinet-maker, and Jean Durden, plumber. Near the criminal was his wife, dressed in black, an ugly little woman, who looked like a monkey dressed as a lady. This is how Renard, Leopold, recounted the drama. Good heavens, it is a misfortune of which I was the prime victim all the time, and with which my will has nothing to do. The facts are their own commentary. Monsieur le President, I am an honest man, a hard-working man, an upholsterer, living in the same street for the last sixteen years known, liked, respected, and esteemed by all, as my neighbours can testify, even the porter's wife, who is not amiable every day. I am fond of work, I am fond of saving, I like honest men and respectable amusements. That is what has ruined me, so much the worse for me, but as my will had nothing to do with it, I continue to respect myself. Every Sunday for the last five years my wife and I, I spent the day at Passy. We get fresh air, and besides, we are fond of fishing. Oh, we are as fond of it as we are of little onions. Melly inspired me with that enthusiasm, the jade, and she is more enthusiastic than I am, the scold, seeing that all the mischief in this business is her fault, as you will see immediately. I am strong and mild-tempered, without a pennyworth of malice in me. But she, oh, la, la, she looks like nothing. She is short and thin. Very well, she does more mischief than a weasel. I do not deny that she has some good qualities. She has some and very important ones for a man in business. But her character, just ask about it in the neighbourhood, and even the porter's wife, who has just sent me about my business, she would tell you something about it. Every day she used to find fault with my mild temper. I would not put up with this. I would not put up with that. If I had listened to her, Monsieur le President, I should have had at least three hand-to-hand -hand fights a month. Madame Renard interrupted him. And for good reasons, too. They laugh best who laugh last. He turned toward her frankly. Well, I can't blame you since you were not the cause of it. Then, facing the President again, he said, I will continue. We used to go to Passy every Saturday evening so as to begin fishing at daybreak the next morning. It is a habit which has become second nature with us, as the saying is. Three years ago this summer I discovered a place, oh, such a spot, oh dear, dear, in the shade, eight feet of water at least, and perhaps ten, a hole with cavities under the bank, a regular nest for fish, and a paradise for the fisherman. 
I might look upon that fishing hole as my property, Monsieur le President, as I was its Christopher Columbus. Every one in the neighborhood knew it, without making any opposition. They would say, that is Renard's place, and nobody would have gone there, not even Monsieur Plumeau, who is well known, be it said without any offense, for poaching on other people's preserves. Well, I returned to this place of which I felt certain, just as if I had owned it. I had scarcely got there on Saturday when I got into Delilah with my wife. Delilah is my Norwegian boat, which I had built by Furnair, and which is light and safe. Well, as I said, we got into the boat, we were going to set bait, and for setting bait there is none to be compared with me, and they all know it. You want to know with what I bait? I cannot answer that question. It has nothing to do with the accident. I cannot answer. That is my secret. There are more than three hundred people who have asked me. I have been offered glasses of brandy and liqueur, fried fish, matelotes, to make me tell. But just go and try whether the chub will come. Ah, they have tempted my stomach to get at my secret, my recipe. Only my wife knows and she will not tell it any more than I will. Is not that so, Melly? The president of the court interrupted him. Just get to the facts as soon as you can. And the accused continued, I am getting to them, I am getting to them. Well, on Saturday, July the 8th, we left by the 25 past 5 train, and before dinner we went to set bait as usual. The weather promised to keep fine, and I said to Melly, All right for tomorrow, and she replied, It looks like it. We never talk more than that together. And then we returned to dinner. I was happy and thirsty, and that was the cause of everything. I said to Melly, Look here, Melly, it is fine weather. Suppose I drink a bottle of Casca that is a weak white wine which we have christened so, because if you drink too much of it, it prevents you from sleeping and takes the place of a nightcap. Do you understand me? She replied, you can do as you please, but you will be ill again and you will not be able to get up tomorrow. That was true, sensible and prudent, clear-sighted, I must confess. Nevertheless, I could not resist, and I drank my bottle. It all came from that. Well, I could not sleep. By Jove, it kept me awake till two o'clock in the morning, and then I went to sleep so soundly that I should not have heard the angel sounding his trump at the last judgment. In short, my wife woke me at six o'clock, and I jumped out of bed, hastily put on my trousers and jersey, washed my face, and jumped on board Delilah. But it was too late, for when I arrived at my hall it was already occupied. Such a thing had never happened to me in three years and it made me feel as if I were being robbed under my own eyes. I said to myself, confound it all, confound it, and then my wife began to nag at me. Eh, hey, what about your cask a mesh? Get along, you drunkard. Are you satisfied, you great fool? I could say nothing because it was all true, but I landed all the same near the spot and tried to profit by what was left. Perhaps after all the fellow might catch nothing and go away. He was a little thin man in white linen coat and waistcoat and a large straw hat, and his wife, a fat woman, doing embroidery, sat behind him. When she saw us take up our position close to them, she murmured, Are there no other places on the river? 
My wife, who was furious, replied, People who have any manners make inquiries about the habits of the neighbourhood before occupying reserved spots. As I did not want to fuss, I said to her, Hold your tongue, Mele. Let them alone, let them alone, we shall see. Well, we fastened Delilah under the willows, and had landed and were fishing side by side, Melly and I, close to the two others. But here, monsieur, I must enter into details. We'd only been there about five minutes when our neighbour's line began to jerk twice, thrice, and then he pulled out a chub as thick as my thigh, rather less perhaps, but nearly as big. My heart beat, the perspiration stood on my forehead, and Melly said to me, Well, you sot, did you see that? Just then, Monsieur Brew, the grocer of Poissy, who is fond of gudgeon fishing, passed in a boat and called out to me, So somebody has taken your usual place, Monsieur Renard. And I replied, Yes, Monsieur Brew, there are some people in this world who do not know the rules of common politeness. The little man in linen pretended not to hear, nor his fat lump of a wife either. Here the president interrupted him for a second time. Take care, you are insulting the widow, Madame Flemish, who is present. Reynard made his excuses. I beg your pardon, I beg your pardon. My anger carried me away. Well, not a quarter of an hour had passed when the little man caught another chub, and another almost immediately, and another five minutes later. Tears were in my eyes, and I knew that Madame Reynard was boiling with rage, for she kept on nagging at me. Oh, how horrid! Don't you see that he is robbing you of your fish? Do you think that you will catch anything? Not even a frog. Nothing whatever. Why, my hands are tingling just to think of it. But I said to myself, let us wait until twelve o'clock. Then this poacher will go to lunch, and I shall get my place again. As for me, Monsieur le President, I lunch on that spot every Sunday. We bring our provisions in Delilah, but there. At noon the wretch produced a chicken in a newspaper, and while he was eating he actually caught another chub. Many and I had a morsel also, just a bite, a mere nothing, for our heart was not in it. Then I took up my newspaper to aid my digestion. Every Sunday I read the Gil Blau in the shade by the side of the water. It is Columbine's day, you know. Columbine, who writes the articles in the Gil Blah. I generally put Madame Renard into a rage by pretending to know this Columbine. It is not true, for I do not know her, and I have never seen her, but that does not matter. She writes very well, and then she says things that are pretty plain for a woman. She suits me, and there are not many of her sort. Well, I began to tease my wife, but she got angry immediately, and very angry, so I held my tongue. At that moment our two witnesses who are present here, Monsieur Ladureau and Monsieur Durdent, appeared on the other side of the river. We knew each other by sight. The little man began to fish again, and he caught so many that I trembled with vexation, and his wife said, It is an uncommonly good spot, and we will come here always, desire. As for me, a cold shiver ran down my back, and Madame Renard kept repeating, You are not a man, you have the blood of a chicken in your veins. And suddenly I said to her, Look here, I would rather go away, or I shall be doing something foolish. 
and she whispered to me, as if she had put a red-hot iron under my nose, "'You are not a man. Now you are going to run away and surrender your place. Go then, Bazaine.' I felt hurt, but yet I did not move, whilst the other fellow pulled out a bream. "'Oh, I never saw such a large one before, never.' And then my wife began to talk aloud, as if she were thinking aloud, and you could see her tricks. She said, that is what one might call stolen fish, seeing that we set the bait ourselves. At any rate, they ought to give us back the money we have spent on bait. Then the fat woman in the cotton dress said in her turn, Do you mean to call us thieves, madam? Explanations followed and compliments began to fly. Oh, Lord, those creatures know some good ones. They shouted so loud that our two witnesses who were on the other bank began to call out by way of a joke. Less noise over there, you will interfere with your husband's fishing. The fact is that neither the little man nor I moved any more than if we had been two tree stumps. We remained there with our eyes fixed on the water as if we had heard nothing. But, by Jove, we heard all the same. You are a thief. You are nothing better than a tramp. You are a regular jade, and so on and so on. A sailor could not have said more. Suddenly I heard a noise behind me and I turned round. It was the other one, the fat woman, who had attacked my wife with her parasol. Whack, whack. Melly got two of them, but she was furious, and she hits hard when she is in a rage. She caught the fat woman by the hair, then thump, thump, slaps in the face, rain down like ripe plums. I should have let them fight it out. Women together, men together. It does not do to mix the blows. But the little man in the linen jacket jumped up like a devil and was going to rush at my wife. Ah, no, no, not that, my friend. I caught the gentleman with the end of my fist and crash, crash, one on the nose, the other in the stomach. He threw up his arms and legs and fell on his back into the river, just into the hole. I should have fished him out, most certainly, Monsieur le President, if I had had time. But to make matters worse, the fat woman had the upper hand and was pounding Melly for all she was worth, and I ought not to have interfered while the man was in the water, but I never thought that he would drown, and said to myself, Bah, it will cool him. I therefore ran up to the women to separate them, and all I received were scratches and bites. Good Lord, what creatures! Well, it took me five minutes, and perhaps ten, to separate those two viragos. When I turned round, there was nothing to be seen. The water was as smooth as a lake, and the others yonder kept shouting, Fish him out! Fish him out! It was all very well to say that, but I cannot swim, and still less dive. At last the man from the dam came, and two gentlemen with boat hooks, but over a quarter of an hour had passed. He was found at the bottom of the hole, in eight feet of water, as I have said. There he was, the poor little man, in his linen suit. Those are the facts, such as I have sworn to, and I am innocent on my honour. The witnesses having given testimony to the same effect, the accused was acquitted. End of The Fishing Hole by Guy de Maupassant Recording by Peter Tomlinson